Last fall, I lost one of the most important people in my life, my friend Jeff Douglas. We knew the end was coming, so one day Jeff and I sat down together for an impromptu chat for this podcast. I wanted to capture some of the many Jeffisms that everybody has grown to love so well. I wanted to talk with him about life and death and mortality, his perspective on the afterlife, conversations that we had had many, many times before. But during recent months, I just noticed he'd become a lot more sensitive than I'd ever seen him before. He was often crying. Those conversations had lost their innocence, and I couldn't bear to even think about them while sitting there with him. So what follows is a simple, unprepared conversation. It doesn't get anywhere near as deep as I wish it had, but I don't know. I guess in those final moments, you know, we weren't trying to set any world records. We were just trying to spend some more time together. So please enjoy uh, what is just a tiny sliver of the man that we all loved so greatly and will miss forever. Is it rolling? All right. So I think this is picking up pretty good. All right, so I'm here with my pal, Jeff, and we're at his apartment here in Port Townsend, and I thought it would be a fun opportunity to sit with him and inquire as to when he first moved to Port Townsend and what it's been like living here and why he decided to stay and whatever other interesting tidbits we can gain from him this afternoon. So, Jeff, thank you very much for agreeing to be on this podcast. And can you uh, can you tell me the story of what it was like when you first came to Port Townsend and when that was? Well, thank you, Michael. Um, I came here in... Uh, May, I guess, of 1979, and I left Lake Tahoe, and um, because I could no longer ski, and I was looking for another place to live, and I didn't want to shovel 60 feet of snow anymore when I couldn't ski, and um, so I was going to, I had some time, a few years before that, I had come to driven around, come to the northwest and driven around the peninsula, stopping in Port Angeles and going up on Hurricane Ridge and seeing um, the Olympics. And so I was a photographer at the time and I thought I'd move to Port Angeles and um, photograph the Olympic Park. And when I came back to make my move to Port Angeles, the Hood Canal Bridge had blown down, and so there was a ferry from Edmonds to Port Townsend, and a high school friend of mine put me on the ferry, and she said, there's a nice little town at the end of this ferry ride, you might like it, and I got on the ferry for one of my first ferry rides, it was a beautiful day, Arrived in Port Townsend a couple hours later, right next to the, about three o'clock, right next to the town tower, 
and uh, turned out it was roadie day, Saturday, and um, parade was over, but the place was jumping, there was people everywhere, and um, I was just kind of uh, impressed with it. Oh, there was a band playing already, the town tavern, and um, so I walked down, and I had long hair at the time, can't grow it that long anymore, and I was trying to fix it in front of uh, Abel's Hardware in their glass. And while amazed at what was actually behind the glass, which was everything you could ever imagine ever was, except um, it was old and had dust on it. Um, four drunk, while I was trying to fix my hair, four drunk girls in a Mustang convertible came by and went, I'm hard, don't worry about it, you're gorgeous. And so I thought, well, maybe this is the place. So I walked up over, I walked up in front of the post office and a woman with a papoose walked up the hill and stopped to talk to me and said, I saw you coming off the ferry. Do you have any place to stay? And I said, no. And she said, well, you can toss your pack behind my couch and, um, Later we can all show you around. And so that was the beginning and we went down and she showed me all the places in town that were operating. There was about five or six bars with bands on Water Street at the time. Quite a few um, closed windows like there are now, shuttered businesses, but anyway, it was a beautiful day and all the clouds and mountains and amusement um, and uh, seemed like a nice place and I have not moved since and that was 35 years ago or so. I didn't realize how close you were to becoming a Port Angeles resident. <laughs> well, it was... Um, a strange place, Port Angeles was a strange place at the time, and I wasn't particularly enamored by the town. They did have a snooker table in one of the local pubs, and um, snooker was important to me, and so that drew me a little bit um, towards there. But um, it was a very drunk place. Uh, people were kind of unhappy because they really had come to the end of the logs. And um, you could go out any 10 o'clock on the street, any time, any night, and you see somebody vomiting on the sidewalk. And so it was, there was that, you know, and um, a lot of shuttered buildings and houses that were not being occupied. But um, yes, I just didn't know Port Townsend was here when I went to Port Angeles the first time. And um, so it was just a big surprise that Port Townsend was even here. So what were some of the things about Port Townsend back in those days that drew you here as opposed to Port Angeles? Well, it was like it is now. It's artsy-fartsy to a great extent. And um, artists were living in their cars on the street. And there were plenty of um, cheaper places that... Um, People who didn't want to work 40 hours 
um, could live. And uh, in general, it was just a, a very comfortable place. Probably only seen three, or even working in the town tower, and I've only seen three or four fights where anybody actually landed a blow. There's been some others, but um, I didn't see them. And anytime you ever described the town tavern in the late 70s, early 80s, it just sounds like it was the place to be, almost like a youth hostel of sorts, because there was, you know, cheap places to stay above it, right, back in those days? Well, what it was is kind of a commune in that um, there's about 40 rooms upstairs, I think, maybe 30 or 40, and um, people were living in one person in a room, some two people in a room, but um, you worked downstairs in the, either the bar or the deli, which is just a sandwich shop, um, 20 hours a week for um, food, room and board, all the draft beer you could drink. And with the downside being anybody would ever seen the taps, didn't want to drink very much draft <laughs> beer. But every once in a while they'd clean them and then be fine for a while. Um, I usually had bottled beer because I didn't drink very much and I felt more comfortable knowing what the taps looked like. But yes, it was it was the center of everything. It was big. And like I've always said, if you went um, to the town tavern from 10 to 2, Friday and Saturday, two weeks in a row, you would see every single person in East Jefferson County that you were interested in seeing, plus a few didn't know lived here. You know? And we had to a little bit of traffic from uh, other places that would come, but um, it was a pain in the rear because you had to take ferries and um, or drive around. And it was we were at the end of the road and there wasn't much happening. Um, so often it'd be um, a, a friend came from Portland to see me, and we were sitting in the tavern. And I said, "You're the only person in here," and it was jammed. There must have been about a hundred people in there. And um, I said, you're the only person in here who doesn't know everybody else here. And he, he was amused by that. So the, 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 the kind of vibe there was a communal living of sorts where everybody worked in the same place and lived in the same area. Was there a lot of collaboration between groups of artists or musicians? And was there any interesting projects or bands that came out of that scene? Well, there was some good local bands, a group called Earthling, <coughs> and um, several others that um, was the beginning of my time, so I didn't know all the people. Gradually wound up knowing all the people, but uh, at that point I didn't. The thing is was that it was um, mostly the people who worked and lived there um, would be there, but that would, didn't amount to more than about 50 people or so. And so there's lots of other people in town who would come there because it was big and um, everybody knew everybody. It was a lot of fun that way. 
you didn't have to worry about not seeing, making a move or being aggressive because you knew absolutely for sure you'd see him again, you know. If it wasn't tomorrow, it'd be next week. Mm -hmm. And it was the only real bar that had um, kind of the younger people, um, artsy types, and uh, people who didn't want to work 40 hours. And uh, But it was an interesting collection of different people. It just was big so everybody could come. Now the clientele has been kind of broken up into four or five different places. So you, uh, the age uh, spread is more limited in each one of those. And, uh, but in those days, it was everybody who could get, sneak in underage to old people. Mm -hmm. And so I'm aware of uh, a number of interesting projects that you're involved with while living in town. Um, I know that you're a photographer for a while, but you also had a pretty cool recording studio. Um, and do you think that those were interests that you were on a trajectory to do regardless, or do you think Port Townsend kind of brought out that sort of creativity for you? Well, that's a thought I had never considered. Um, I was a photographer, and even an aerial photographer, before I came to town. I had been a flight instructor for five years, and so it was kind of natural to switch from being a flight instructor to an aerial photographer. And I spent time here doing that, and um, at some point it became less interesting to me than music and so I started thinking about music and I started late enough to realize at some point that nobody was ever going to want to hear me play guitar and so I thought well I'll start recording and uh, that turned out to be a lot of fun and uh, there was not a heck of a lot of business of course and um, if I had gotten all the business, I probably couldn't have paid my bills, but even so, it was a lot of fun to do, and through a combination of quirks and fates, um, I partnered with a good fellow who had good, some good equipment, and we had a good time for eight of the uh, 20 years that I wound up doing it. I was in partners with George, and um, it was real interesting in that I got a chance to be involved with a lot of people who were excited about what they were doing and try to help them bring their concepts and ideas to fruition, which is one of the fun things about being a recording engineer, that don't think about too much at a time, but it turns out to be an important part of it. Were there any projects that stand out as um, a project that was maybe more interesting than the others for one reason or another? Well, <clears throat> we did have five women from Tuva, which is a part of Russia, kind of at the left end of Mongolia, I believe. 
Um, and they were all throat singers, so we have five women doing three different tones from their throat. So we <laughs> ended up with a whole bunch of tones, and they're all, um, it was enlightening in that um, you could, walking down the street, Water Street with them, you couldn't tell they weren't from uh, someplace in Seattle or something. They all had uh, tears in their jeans and wore exactly the same clothes as everybody else, and they're from this place that's so far, so hard to get to that had never been an overrun in history. There was one gnarly trail going in, and um, three or four kids would throwing rocks, could have kept Hannibal and his elephants out of the place, because it was a very skinny trail, and that was the only way, way in, you know, with huge steep mountains everywhere, just sitting in a bowl. Anyway, they were delightful women and um, incredibly good musicians. One woman was uh, equal to Hendrix from my ear. Where she played her wooden five-string instrument, I believe it might have been, and uh, you just could hardly believe that anybody could be that good. So that was a major point of interest, and I learned a lot just realizing that people are the same everywhere to a great extent. How'd you get connected with these women? Um, somehow, George knew somebody who um, recommended us for doing some recording while they were here. They were touring the Northwest and they toured other places also, but somehow they were staying in Port Townsend for a while and we got connected up with them. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, how has Port Townsend changed over the years. Do you think it's changed in a good way or a neutral well, kind of way, or what are your thoughts? It has become a little more gentrified, I suppose. Um, sometime in about the end of the 80s, San Diegans realized that they could sell their house and move here and buy a house on the bluff and still have a couple hundred thousand dollars left to do what they wanted, and um, it wasn't bad, it was uh, the police chief retired and we kind of went from keeping the peace to enforcing the law with the next guy, but um, it was never, uh, it was always kind of light-handed and uh, not much trouble. When the town tavern was running, we would, um, every once in a while we'd have a dust up and have to call the police who only were about a half a block away. So they would, at the time, everybody on the police department looked like fire plugs. They weren't very tall, but they were very muscular and strong. And they would simply come in the front door and stand around until everything calmed down. And they just turned around, walked out, and went back to the police station. But they never actually did anything, as far as I remember. But um, that's uh, a point that 
stole out on what is it? The, just how the town has changed oh, for yeah. better or for uh, worse. Well, there was quite a number of um, quite a number of uh, empty buildings at that, just like there is now, and um, of course all of the upstairs were not being used really. There was a couple apartments down by along the street, but not much. Um, virtually nothing upstairs other than the building that we, the town tavern was in, where I guess it had been um, occupied the whole time. It was a hotel at one time, as it is now again. But um, there were, of course, not very many, and we, no big box stores, and we didn't, we don't have much of that now. Especially downtown. Downtown hasn't changed much. Um, if you look at Google Earth, you can see that there's quite a bit of housing out in the trees that wasn't here then. Um, but as far as uptown and downtown, there's hardly much difference. There was a couple big derelict buildings down by where the Tides Hotel is now. Um, that gradually got burned down for practice, I think, or whatever. Um, and the ferry came right into town there at the end, and which was kind of a hassle, especially while the bridge was down, because about every two hours, a super ferry would arrive and let off hundreds of cars who all drove down Water Street and made a mess. Mm -hmm. But um, other than that, was pretty much similar. They finally moved the ferry dock down to the other end of town so that they no longer have to drive through the middle of town when they come off the ferries if they're gone someplace else. But um, I believe it was in the 90s, perhaps, that the town tavern closed down for the first time before yeah. it was reconverted to something else. Yeah. I, it was sold to various people. The uh, original owners um, decided to sell it. And uh, I was living just far enough away <coughs> uh, to not be going as often as I did before. Um, and then I moved within walking distance again in 1990. Um, and it was sold to several different people. They kind of flubbed it. And it hung on until about five years ago, I guess, when they, uh, the final flub was... Um, uh, but it was active right up until then. And uh, the people who were, managed, were mismanaging it just kind of petered out. And the owners of the building finally got tired of dealing with it. Um, it was probably too much noise after hours. And uh, they finally just said, well, they just let it go, kicked them out, stopped their lease. So that was the end of that. And it was uh, a real loss of such a center of uh, activity. But, yeah, it seems like downtown lost its cultural hub when that place went away. And it doesn't seem like any of the other establishments really picked up that ball, like you said earlier, it kind of spread out around town instead. Yeah, 
And there's a couple places that are nice under ideal conditions, you know. Afternoons down in the poorhouse are pleasant, but um, that's only part of the year. Then there are other places, um, like you say, separated into various kind of groups. Young kids seem to go someplace else other than the uptown. The uptown called the old man's bar. Partly why I'm there a lot. But um, you're right, it uh, did just kind of ended that whole thing, which is too bad. Um, everybody who was living there then laments it and uh, wishes it was come back, but that probably won't happen. Did you ever have any moments through the years where you felt maybe you were tired of PT and ever thought about moving to some other place? I did not. That's amazing. Yeah. I had, um, was born in Sacramento, raised in the gold country, and spent some time in Santa Barbara, and then uh, 11 years at Lake Tahoe, South Lake Tahoe. And um, when I came here, I didn't want to shovel snow or be hot. And it's not hot. I came here to be cool. <laughs> and um, I had never thought once about moving someplace else. It's uh, Women can walk around in the middle of the night, not have to think too much about it. Most of the violence is domestic violence, where everybody knows everybody else, even the cops, know everybody involved, you know. There's not a heck of a lot of um, violence or anything to worry about as far as, you know, it's a real rarity. Yeah. Can't go to very many places and say that. What I've always loved about this town is that it seems to be a magnet for interesting, quirky people. Um, or just... I don't know, you just see the most bizarre things sometimes. Like, I, I remember there was this guy who used to drive a Geo Metro around, and there would always be this flock of crows that followed him everywhere he went. And, um, you know, just interesting people yeah, like that. I would agree. There's, uh, it seems to collect that, those people. It's, um, it is, um, welcoming. Mm -hmm. to people that are a little outside normal um, not very welcoming to violent people they seem to take care of themselves and they're just yes but anyway uh, mumble mumble I agree it's um, a comfortable place to live and uh, it welcomes a large variety of people without too many questions unless they bring them on themselves mm -hmm. yeah to your point I remember about 11 12 years ago there's this guy who's probably my age now so 35 ish who came to town and at first he was kind of endearing to everybody and they all liked him and then he I believe he kissed a 14 year old girl at a party being a 35 year old and it's like the town kind of rallied in that community sort of way and 
shunned him and then you know he kind of disappeared <laughs> yeah um could be talking about the next uh, you know person that i would recognize but yes that did happen and he just got bad vibes out of town yeah the, the vibes got him um yeah i i've always liked to i mean i haven't lived in poor townsend for 11 years but I still feel community here tenfold compared to Portland, you know, because Portland's a very transient place and it's big and it's just really hard to make human connections. But here for the last 11 years, whenever I wanted to come visit you, I would always know like where I could go to meet you <laughs> and you would be there. And um, it's just, I just kind of know the entire town that way. I know exactly what the bunkers are like so um if i felt like it i'm not saying i do but i could wander through that in the dead of night with no flashlights and just you know work my way around that place yep um that's true you um, of course got quite a lingering group of friends that have made their effort to stay even if they have to um do jobs that are below their education levels. And we all know people who have uh, degrees that are working the night man at the local hotel. Yeah. Yeah, that's a debate that I'm always having with myself and that I have with my friends um, because there's some about this town that definitely calls to me still. Yet I'm also trying to make my way in the professional world and make an income and, you know, get a nest egg and do all those things that society tells you you should do. And for the most part, they seem to make a lot of sense. Sure. Um, but it is kind of hard, you know, having to make that decision to perhaps well, live in a place that's not exactly what I want. That is the hell of it. <laughs> yeah, so what kind of advice can you give me? <laughs> well, you say that Portland is transient but even if it wasn't there's so many people you just don't see the same people very often you know pretty soon you notice that yes I've seen this person a number of times but you you haven't seen him so many times that you're conversational you know which makes for a slightly different thing um, I've noticed you've shown me around on Google your neighborhood and it's fairly close to what looks like a place that uh, where people would run into each other more often. Um, but even so, you know, Mark Twain pointed out, moved to New York City and you're walking down the street with people you are never going to see again. You know? So, stepping on a toe is, is you don't want to try to avoid it quite as much as, as you might. But, um, yes, the trouble is there's not much for young people to do and so they almost have to go and... Uh, try to make it well enough to maybe come back and retire or whatever. But then again, things happen, you know, between the time they have to leave and when um, they might come back that changes that plan. Um, that is something that I don't know how you get around that, you know. you. Uh, have a way of being able to work sometimes when you're here, which is 
I suppose about as close as a person can get um, in your situation to um, having both worlds. Yeah. Yeah, and there's pluses to the city as well. I, sure. I've been exposed to so many different cultures and, you know, I can go to a bookstore and see a really famous author present that I am excited about. So those are, you know, the types of things that do keep me there. Yeah. Well, um, and we don't have much diversity here, I have to admit that. It's, uh, there are a few um, other than standard wasp situation there are not as many I had a big dose of that when I was over in Seattle at the lovely uh, Swedish hospital I've never seen so many different people um, in such a short period of time in my life I would have people from seven or eight different countries walk in my room every day you know and I'm thinking I just couldn't possibly see somebody from someplace else and the very next person would be from someplace, from, from Atria or some, Ethiopia or someplace who were there to uh, learn medicine one way or another. But um, we do suffer a little bit of that, but um, that's, it seems to be changing slightly, but it probably uh, will be slow. Yeah. Yeah, I I've had similar experiences in Portland. Uh, the grad school cohort that I'm in right now, there's an African American woman, Native American woman, um, Romanian American woman, um, uh, gay male, you know, and a couple white guys too. But it's really diverse for such a small program. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is it's all perspective because. I've I've spoken with the African American woman about what her experience is like being in Portland, and it's the least diverse place she's ever lived because she's from D.C. originally, and she did uh, Peace Corps over in Morocco, and so she's been in places that are far more diverse. So whereas coming from Port Townsend, I'm like, wow, Portland's amazingly diverse. She's like, no, it's not really. <laughs> Did she have any comments about how she's treated? Um, I, she, I get the impression that she's treated well, but I also get the impression that there's subtle things that she experiences that are um, a result of our culture not being very diverse. I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but um, I've noted that she's been frustrated with the way people have spoken to her. Um, that definitely results from a lack of a certain kind of cultural sensitivity. Yeah. Um, I think that um, I have a few um, non-Wasp friends, and they say they notice it really distinctly around the country, but it's not... Um, it's much less in Port Townsend, I think, partly because there's not much of a threat, you know. You've got 10,000 people and 15 of them are black. Um, those 10,000 don't worry too much about um, being threatened by a small population. Um, but they say even so, they just, they notice the teeniest difference between them. Uh, 
how they're treated. You know, they don't have much complaint here, but they say they still notice it. Well, the friend that I mentioned exposed me to this um, situation that occurred in Portland in the mid-20th century where there was a great flood that um, kind of spilled over the banks of the Columbia River. And at a certain point, there was a um, levee that was breached, and it just completely flooded this neighborhood that coincidentally was like the African-American neighborhood there called Vanport. And so there's been this documentary film, I think it's called the Vanport Mosaic or something, or maybe that's the project, but it's basically exploring whether or not that was breached purposefully to try to eradicate that neighborhood. And I don't know what the answer is for sure, but it it does kind of get those gears spinning in my head and making me realize that uh, the Pacific Northwest isn't necessarily the Shangri-La of multiculturalism that I've I grew up believing because of course we had the Japanese internment camps which are quite infamous and yeah. then um, as I've brought up with you in the last couple of weeks you know it, it's possible that Memorial Field which used to be a Chinese American neighborhood may have been intentionally burned to the ground. Um, I think in the late 18, early 1900s. Yeah. And that's something I'd like to explore um, to really try to get to the bottom of it. But I think that those are important parts of our history that white kids in this feel-good oasis don't really get that perspective. We don't really have much perspective on the Native Americans either. No, that's funny. That's uh, funny, peculiar. Um when is the hubbub about changing the name of the high school, you know? Yeah, our high school here was the Port Townsend Redskins, and I remember in the 90s there were people pleading, like, we have to change this mascot, it's deeply offensive. But there was quite a strong contingent of people, including from the Native community, who said that it's a respectful mascot and that it honors their people. <laughs> Well, it's just crazy. Um, and I have never had a conversation with a Native American on the subject. But um, I do think I remember that the local um, Native American, uh, American casino funded any extra costs it would take to um, change the name. Mm-hmm. So at least that particular group had an opinion. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I had my own experience wearing my Port Townsend Redskins uh, sweatshirt in eastern Washington, and a member of what I assume was one of the local tribes, you know, called me out and said that my shirt was deeply offensive, and that was the first time it ever dawned on me that that could be the case. Yeah. Well, um, certainly the Native Americans have gotten the short end of the deal right from the beginning. My own town of Auburn, California, had a reservation just outside of town, and um, they didn't get a help a lot of support. You know, I remember sometime in about the 1960s, um, first kid from the reservation graduated from the local junior college, and uh, it was a huge 
to do and a lot of cheering, but um, it took a hundred years for him to manage to get through the local junior college. They probably went on to other places first, but at least this was the first one that ever graduated from a two-year college in town. Wow. And, uh, of course, they were finagled at it even there. They were late, probably in the 70s or 80s, they were kind of finagled out of their property in that uh, previously they were not allowed to sell it individually. It had to be a tribal dis decision. Then the local real estate people, eyeing the view that part of that property had, um, managed to convince people that it was so unfair that we wouldn't anybody else could sell their property, but the local natives could not sell their property. And of course, then all the good property got sold, and um, whoever was living on it got rich, but the rest of the drive uh, was stuck on the stuff that didn't have the view. But, um, you know, the story is that way for the last several hundred years. Yeah, sadly. Maybe it'll get better. Don't know. The longest um, interaction I've ever had. I do have now a Native American woman friend who I see often, but um, she's half Irish. But um, I did get picked up for, from hitchhiking way out on the coast by a couple of Native Americans, and uh, they were delightful. Gave us a ride to Bad Smitty's. But uh, anyway, that was uh, really the only interaction. Um, even they, you know, um, don't really interact in town very much. Um, obviously, they don't have much trouble, but they also kind of keep to themselves. But I'm not, not even sure that's true. It's just that overall, um, they seem to stay where they um, on the on the reservation in, in the areas that they're comfortable with. Yeah. I guess at one time Port Townsend was uh, part of their yearly traveling around the area and fishing and whatnot was good right here. They would spend quite a bit of time there. Yeah, the author that you turned me on to, James Swan, would write about the journeys that they would go on from the Macaw land over towards this direction and these big long boats that I guess they're bringing back as a way to celebrate their culture which is cool yeah. they, they come right there on the beach at Fort Warren mm -hmm. yeah apparently they had to come um, from Nia Bay to Port Townsend for some reason then the Flallums <clears throat> which were in Port Angeles at the time would come out shoot at them <laughs> so they had to come by on moonless nights yeah in order to get from their wintering ground to here um, probably on their way back too but um, so they didn't always get along perfectly yeah no but, um, get, um, it's kind of the way of mankind and everybody thinks there's a shortage so they have to fight for it 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we've managed to cover quite a few topics. Yeah, kind <laughs> of. Discussion of Port Townsend. Went down a couple of videos, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I didn't have much brilliance to say. But um, that's a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's kind of my signature podcast to just kind of start talking about one thing and then end up somewhere else and then wonder, wow, how did that happen? Yeah. Well, it happened. Yeah. (laughs) Any um, parting words on um, Port Townsend and community? Any any thoughts of, um, I don't know, just what you've gleaned from... Well, experience living in a town like this. I don't know what to say other than what the Dalai Lama would say, which is just be kind. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to work in a place like this because we see each other so often. Yeah. Thanks for joining me on my podcast, um, for being the latest victim of my um, ramblings and lack of preparation. (laughs) 